Hey, just in case I haven't met you, my name is Melissa. I'm on staff with Chi Alpha, and I get to preach our word tonight. Um, as you guys know, we're, we're in the middle right now of a short message series finishing out this quarter about relationships, and we've been looking at how the principles we, we studied in the book of Philippians kind of apply to all different kinds of relationships in our lives. And tonight we're talking about romantic relationships relating to those we could possibly date or marry. So let's get those Bibles passed out. Um, if you guys, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and they will get one to you. And as we pass the Bibles, um, I'm just going to dive in by sharing my brief history on this topic, just because it seemed funny, or bonding, or breaking the ice, or something, I don't know. Um, I don't know when you guys first saw dating happening around you. Um, I first saw dating happening in elementary school in like fourth grade. Okay, obviously Redmond and Wenatchee were very, Kashmir, were very different experiences. But anyways, I, around fourth grade, everybody, and by that I mean not me, everybody else started like pairing off in these little like dating couples that I don't think did anything other than just were like named, oh, Alyssa's dating Edmund or whatever. Um, and I was one of the perpetually single ones. And I have to say this impacted my usual habit of playing four square at recess because there was this like invisible rule that came about where like if I as a single person like got out obviously I haven't played Foursquare in a hot minute so I don't remember how you do it but if I got out anybody who is like on team dating like any of the dating couples then all of them would gang up on me and get me out so as you can imagine this politically tense situation like just got really annoying like it's hard to play Foursquare if you're not allowed to get anybody else out because you're one of the few single ones that ever plays so that did move me into a, a surprisingly successful career of tetherball. Um, and I got so good that I could take down any sixth grader, I'm just telling you. So that is one small proof that singleness can be quite awesome, just for record. Um, I believe that I developed my first crush somewhere around that time, fourth or fifth grade, definitely sixth grade. I know I had a crush on James, sixth grade. But anyways, I would usually have a crush on somebody for like months to like two and a half years. Um, but I would never tell them. I don't know about you, but I would never tell them. And going to college was the first time that I, I actually got, like, swept up into a dating relationship with a guy in my res hall who I, like, we all got really close um, for fall quarter and everything, and it was awesome. And I thought he loved Jesus, and then I, like, sort of found out that he didn't, but I was, like, trying to help him. Spoiler alert, that's a bad idea. You live and learn, or you can just listen to me tell you now, just don't do it. Um... <laughs> And that wasn't a really great relationship, and we broke up after three months, and he broke up with me. And I remember after we broke up, I felt so light and free. I was, like, walking through the forest, as Western Washington University hippies do. And I was like, is this how you're supposed to feel when you get broken up with? I feel like in the movies, you, like, cry and, like, eat a gallon of ice cream. But I, like, feel like I could fly. Like, maybe that wasn't a bad relationship if I feel this great that it's over. Um, Anyway, I don't know why I think that's so funny looking back, but it was just so weird. And then I have to tell you, I started to lean into what my mentor was telling me freshman year one-on-ones. Whoa, I've been ignoring her. That's a whoops. Um, in case anybody else needs to hear that, it was a really good idea. Um, and so I leaned into what she was trying to teach me, and, and like, man, God really started to change my life a lot after um, that breakup. And I spent the rest of college single again, still had crushes, still never told anybody, still never got asked, asked out. This is my life. Um, and so I was single through graduating college, through the Chi Alpha internship, and all the way until committing to come on staff at Central at age 23, and that's when Tony and I started dating. And I don't know about any of you guys, but my grandma 
on all of our little phone calls from Minnesota to here, boop -doop, and she would always remind me that she had been married by my age. She'd been married a long time by my age. She had my mom by my age. I was like, thank you, Grandma. I'm still aware. <laughs> we covered this last week. <laughs> Nothing's changing. <laughs> you can tell some guys that. I don't know. Um, but anyways, so yeah, if you're going through that with any family members, I feel you. Um, another thing I forgot to mention is that my parents got divorced, and that really rocked me because we were a Christian family, and I just assumed we were, like, immune to that sort of a thing. Um, but it just blindsided me like a truck. Um, so as I was dating Tony, as I moved here to join staff um, 12 years ago, I was processing hardcore, like, my desire to get married and to see that that could be really good with somebody like Tony, but also, like, some deep fears about marriage. Like, I remember asking Michael, I was like, first one-on-ones, like here as a staff member, I'm like, Michael, how do I know that Tony and I can make it and not end up like my parents? That's deep, but anyways. Um, but it's real fear when you haven't seen a healthy marriage in your, in your family. Like, it's, man, how do you know? But anyways, as I worked through those things, I kept building a relationship with Tony, which, by the way, was night and day different than dating freshman Zach had been. It became clearer and clearer over time that we could get married, and we did pre-engagement counseling, um, got engaged, got married, and we've been married 11 years this summer. And... <laughs> He couldn't come tonight because we couldn't get a babysitter. So, whoa, 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 let me tell you. This, children, children. Okay, this was at a friend's wedding the summer, a year before we started dating. Um, so we were in the photo booth, and it's just, we're very special. Um, that's all I have to say. And then that was just one of our wedding pictures, obviously, because that's the only time we were dressed like that. What, his jump? No, it's not edited. Okay, if you didn't know that Tony can jump extremely high, you can ask him. But anyways, he can jump very high for a short, shortish man. Okay, moving along. That <laughs> moving along. Um, okay, so marriage, you guys, has been like an overall really awesome adventure, right? Like obviously there's still ups and downs and learning, and you hurt each other and you grow, and, and it's, but it's so good with the right kind of person when you build a healthy relationship with the kind of foundation we're going to be exploring tonight. So as we talk about dating and marriage tonight, I come to you not knowing everything, but I have experienced each part of the journey thus far. And in fact, all of us on staff who are married, we were single once, not really even that long ago. And we all remember dating and like getting free of sin and figuring out all the questions. And, and we're here for you guys, just in case you didn't know. It's like completely our job, just so you know. Um, when I was a student and when I was single, as previously mentioned, most of my life was single, um, I just thought married people were kind of in their own slightly annoying world and that they, like, couldn't relate to all my angst and, like, where I was at. Um, but I'm here right now. Hello. Um, and I've been married 11 years, and I'm telling you, honestly, I still remember being single like it was yesterday. I still remember dating like it was yesterday. Um, it's not like, I don't know. Uh, I still remember the prayers, the struggles, the journaling, the crying, the being impatient, the yelling, um, you know, off the top of the mountain sometimes, my friends, um, being pruned by Jesus. I remember the temptation and journey to have self-control. And even now, as I've been married 11 years, I have still was single twice as long as I've been married. Probably the only time I can say that, because, anyways, math. But um, <laughs> that's just to say, in case you didn't know, we're all here for you, and our facilitators are here for you, and we all care about helping each other cultivate really great relationships, Okay. I assume that everybody in this room probably wants great relationships of all kinds, including great romantic relationships someday if you choose that path rather than um, singleness, which is also a great path and biblical. Um, but for those of you who are following Jesus, I bet that most of you really want to do this dating and marriage thing the way that God invites us to, right? Yeah. 
And thankfully, Jesus does want to tell us a lot about how to build an incredible romantic relationship his way. And here are two reasons that I think it's critical that we let him. The first is that only God has the right blueprint for relationships. So take keys as an example. In my family's house growing up, our house needed one key to get in for the front door, as many, possibly most houses do. And my parents got the key when they bought the house when I was in like first or second grade. But then when there being, with there being five of us, we needed extra copies of the one original key, right? So my parents made copies off of the original. And over the years, especially by the time my siblings and I were all in high school and college, um, we ended up needing a lot of house keys because we would go off to college and lose it in the laundry, or we would like give it to a neighbor or friend to help with our dog when we were traveling, or we just lent out house keys here and there over the years, so we needed more copies from our copies. So my parents would just make more copies as we needed them. Um, and eventually, what happens? Often what happens is by that point, a lot of the keys you have around no longer actually open the door because it's like key, you have one job, like exactly one job. I did open up, I did open up Amazon Box today with a key, but mostly it's just one, one job. And it was like a joke in our family that 80% of the keys, at least, that we had around would not open the front door ever. Um, and because when they got copied, like a little imperfection goes in the copy and then it gets amplified and it just doesn't work. And so when we'd like be there opening the front door after dinner or something, we would like have this like bated breath suspense. And then if you like got a key that actually opened the door, be like, yeah, mark it, that's a good one, which is like really pathetic, but it was really funny, family bonding, right? And guys, this can happen to anything that you make copies of off of an original. A little imperfection gets in the, co the copy, and then every further copy, the imperfection gets amplified and amplified, and then your future copies down the line don't actually function or look enough like the original to work. And guys, this is exactly what has happened with relationships, sex, and dating in our world. Satan, the thief described in John 10.10, has stolen, killed, and destroyed in, in tiny ways and in, in monstrous ways over many, many years. He's made copies of copies. He's planted distortions from the original and fueled their growth over, over centuries and generations. And he's done this in every culture around the world. You know, like relational dysfunction plays out differently in other parts of the world than it does here. But every culture is missing God's original intent. The copies we see around us don't work to open the original door anymore. We've all gone too far off the original. So what does this mean for us tonight? Well, when we're talking about romantic relationships, I think all of us need to consider whose blueprint do we want to follow? I've, I've personally met people who believe in Jesus and they, in their heads they want to follow him, but they, tend, they can even live like practical atheists when it comes to sex, dating, morality, and relationships. This is just a reality in our world. There's a term that came out to define our, our generation, like, I don't know, 10 years ago or so, called sexual atheism, which means that followers of Jesus in our generation sometimes think that God could not or should not inform our sexual beliefs or practice. And I mean, that's just a, a crazy term. Like, to say that we follow Jesus, but then we're like atheists in one aspect of our lives. It's like the Lion King of like, everything that like touches our kingdom, but this like elephant graveyard is like sex and dating and stuff like that. I've met people who say, I want God to be the center of my future marriage or my future family. But a lot of those same people don't have him be the center of their current thinking about relationships or sexuality right now. But I just want to tell you guys, it's not going to happen then if you may, don't make it happen now. It's not going to magically happen on your wedding day if you don't start building that foundation now. God cannot become the center of our future marriage 
if you don't make him not even just the center, but the entire definer and king of, of our relationship and sexuality thinking and behavior and convictions and plans. Before you're even dating is the perfect time to start. Or if you are dating, still the perfect time to start. It's never too late. So tonight, can we just like be ready to push the eject button on some things that we've learned from movies and TV shows and culture around us? There are like a lot of shows that I love that are super funny, but I know they're bad mentors for our generation in what to expect about relationships or how to practice them, right? So if you want a godly version, you got to recognize that those things can be funny, but they're bad mentors um, and thoughtfully eject some things that we might have picked up along the way from them. Also, I just want to say up front that sometimes throughout the message, I'll, I'll mention sexual sin, and that's just because I've been a college pastor for 13 years, and it just is so common, and it, it always comes up intertwined with relationship talk. So I just want to be upfront with that and say, guys, most of us in this room have experienced lust or porn or masturbation or sexual sin of some kind. Um, unfortunately, those sin patterns are just practically universal these days. So I just want to say to anybody stuck in those patterns right now, you are not alone. And if you want to be free, you can have so much hope because so many people in this very room have been where you are and have done the hard work with Jesus to get free. And they and we would all say it is so freaking worth it. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that up front, but anyways, it is so worth it. Um, you can be freed from captivity and the things that just choke us and hold us back from the kind of life and love that God invites us to and calls us to. God has an awesome blueprint, and any of us can submit ourselves to it starting tonight. It's not too late, and I would say it with all my heart, it is so worth it. Okay, the second reason that I think Jesus should be the one talking to us about relationships is that God's plan of revealing himself to the world actually starts with the family. In Genesis 1, the very first pages of the Bible, straight out of the gates, we see God defining himself to humankind by creating us in his image. He made not one person in his image, but two Adam and Eve, both made in God's image, and he brought them together as husband and wife in a relationship. And his intention, I, th I think, was that the two of them, through their relationship, they would better understand God's character and attributes through their relationship. And that through their relationship, they could reflect God's character and attributes to the world. Did you catch that? We don't just know God statically, like plug in, information download, achieved 100%. Ooh, let's go. We get to know him dynamically, relationally, and we most fully understand God and become like him through our closest relationships. The family is the primary place, kind of square one, of where discipleship and evangelism happen and begin from in the Bible and in, in our life. So if you are following Jesus here tonight, I just want to say, like, you and I, we are designed to be a light set on a hill, shining against the dark, dark sky in all of our beliefs and actions in life. We get to reflect God's nature and his character to the world, not just statically, but in motion, in action, lived out through our relationships. We're lights on a hill, contrasting from the darkness, illuminating darkness, by how we do and don't behave relationally, sexually, ethically, and in so many ways of our lives. This is just one powerful venue that we get to show the world how good God is. Our world, and just zooming into our campus, you guys, it is sexually charged and love-starved. But how powerful would it be for us to be so purified and empowered in this area of our lives to shine like the world's like LED cities at Christmas. We can show the world a glorious picture of how good God is through our relationships. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about God's blueprint, but I want to start focusing on that now tonight. So, so what is God's blueprint? What's God's original design that if we follow it will be like light set 
in the darkness, illuminating it. I think the main blueprint we should use for building our relationships off of is the Trinity, how God himself and his triune nature is relational, how God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and and how they relate to one another. God is relational in his own self-contained existing nature. Um, The Bible is dripping with words about relationships on most pages, if not every page of the Bible. Shout out interns, extra credit assignment. Michael's not here, so I'm just making stuff up. Um, You can check if every page of the Bible has to do with relationships in some way or another. I don't know. I just suspect most of them do. So you can check me on that. Brayden's already started, I can tell. Um, But anyways, God is relational, and examples are spread all throughout the Bible. But for starters tonight, we're just going to peek back at our old pal, Philippians 2. Gotta love him. Um, To glimpse once again how Jesus lived out God's way of love. So Philippians 2, 1 through 11, um, we'll see again Pastor Paul's words to our homies in Philippi. And guys, for the sake of time, since we've already read this passage somewhere between four and a million times in the past month, um, I'm going to hold myself back from reading it aloud right now, even though I want to, because I love it. Um, But you can kind of just see it on the screen behind me or in your Bibles as I draw some highlights as we go. So as you guys know, in this passage, Paul is correcting a group group of people whose relationships were being tainted and influenced by their culture. And he was calling them back to take a good, long look at the blueprint, at Jesus' style of love, to get back to the blueprint. So what do we see here? In verses 5 through 11, we see Jesus was postured as a servant. He chose to lay down his rights to serve us. He didn't justify his rightful position or use it to his own advantage to serve himself. He used it to our advantage to serve us, even though we did not deserve it at all. Guys, the way of loving the kingdom of God is exactly like Jesus shows us here, and he modeled all throughout his life. Godly love is servant love. Godly love is servant love. It's self-giving. It's others promoting. It's never self-promoting. Taking is foreign to this kind of love. Selfishness is poison to this kind of love. The posture that we see from God is one of kneeling beneath your own rights to lift the other person up, fueling them rather than fueling yourself. Can you imagine how awesome marriage would be if you're doing that to your spouse and they're doing that to you? That's so much better than just trying to prove yourself or take for yourself. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyways, um, so godly love is servant love. One other passage that shows, us, shows Jesus living this out and articulating it is in John 13, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He's saying the exact same way I've loved you guys. That's how you got to love each other. Jesus says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So what kind of love was that like? Read the first 33 verses in that chapter. John 13, 1 through 33 shows Jesus washing his disciples' feet, doing one of the craziest acts of love, I mean, until the cross. Um, but culturally, he... The master reversed the norms and upset all worldly expectations by posturing himself as the lowest, lowest servant of their society and washing their gross feet. And in verse 12 through 17 of John 13, he clearly says, do you guys get what I just did for you? I'm your teacher and your Lord, but I just washed your feet. Now that I've washed your feet, you should also go wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do like I just did for you. And if you link this to verses 34 to 35, it's clear. Jesus is calling us to fully switch kingdoms and jump into God's style of love. Godly love is servant love. So what does this have to do with romance? 
Well, rather than starting tonight by asking, like, who should I date, what's dating about, or whatever, we just started on the opposite end, taking a good long look at the end goal. This is God's style of love, the way of love in his kingdom. And one major way that we can live out this godly servant love and spend a lifetime getting better at it on this earth is through marriage, and specifically getting married to somebody else who will excel in that process with you. Building a family that's founded on that kind of love that will live like a light in the universe, like shining in your neighborhood where so many other families are dysfunctional and their selfishness rather than serving. So how should we think about dating? With this as the end goal of the kind of culture and foundation our marriages should be built upon, we can just do the principle of backward engineering. So like starting from that end goal and working our way back to here at the starting line, okay, what's dating all about? How should I consider who's a good person to date? How should we date once we're dating? How can I build a foundation that's gonna reach that end goal rather than one of the world's like dysfunctional defaults. So let's backward engineer our way now to that end goal so we end up with a copy of the key that actually opens the front door, not the world's default. So we're gonna dive in now um, to this like practical parts of the backward engineering. Look at three main things tonight. Why date, who to date, and how to date. So we're starting off now with why date. Okay, I just mentioned how marriage is like the ultimate earthly context that God has designed for us to spend our lifetime learning and perfecting the kind of servant love he designed. That was a really long sentence, sorry. Um, but marriage, I think, is the human relationship that can most closely express and help us experience the Trinitarian love, the kind of love that God himself exists within. And I, I imagine that's probably because it's marriage is the most intimate and lifelong and secure and covenantal relationship that we have. So how do we get there? Well, this is going to sound very obvious, but in our culture, we date somebody and then decide if we should marry that person or not. Um, or you can possibly go on a reality TV show and find a spouse that way, but I'm not sure if I would recommend it or not. Um, most of us do it via dating, so we're just going to focus on that <laughs> tonight. So why date? I think you should date somebody in order to decide if you should marry that person. I don't think there's any other good reasons for dating, like just to try it out or because you like them but you would never marry them or because you want somebody to make you feel good or to mess around with or because the circumstances all lined up like a movie or you got pressured into it. I don't think any of those reasons are solid enough to make dating worth it. People date for those reasons all the time on our campus, but I think they're going to end up in hurt and regret and pain and they won't get you to that end goal that God is inviting us to. So I think the only rise, wise reason to date is to find out if you should marry that person that you're dating. Obviously not on the first date, I'm just throwing that out there, but that's the main purpose. So that would imply some things about who we date and how we date. Like we should go into dating with this sort of approach of like, okay, I've watched that person's character for a while and I think they could be the type of person that I would want to marry. Which brings us to the second point of who to date. So some first things. Philippians 2, 1 through 5, it, it describes something important that we didn't touch on um, previously. So these, these few beginning verses, they aren't just like, like a runway of like an on-ramp to just showing us how awesome Jesus is in verses 5 through 11. Um, they aren't just like setting that up. Those verses show something really important, I think. They show that the source of how we are fueled for godly relationships is our relationship with Jesus. If we're like laptops trying to do a function, it takes power to do that function, at least for more than a few hours. Or for some of you guys, I know your laptops do not turn on at all unless they're plugged in to the power course, and I am very sad for you, Caden and Nancy, anyways. Um, but anyways. So 
if we are laptops trying to do a function, um, we're enabled and empowered to do that by being plugged into Jesus in a powerful, ongoing, life-giving way. That's important at the outset as we consider relationships. The first four verses of Philippians 2, they describe a lot of ingredients that are kind of like added into this mixing bowl, and then relationships are being baked from that. I don't know how many analogies I'm doing tonight. We're just rolling with it. So what are these ingredients? Philippians 2, 1 through 5 is on the slide behind me, and it talks about like being united with Christ. That gives us encouragement. His love, it gives us comfort. Sharing in the Holy Spirit, like individually sharing in the Holy Spirit ourselves and then also together as a community. Tenderness and compassion. Then as those things are all mixed up, they turn us into people who are being like-minded and have the same love and are of one spirit and of one purpose. And therefore, we do nothing of selfish ambition, but we have our posture towards others the same as Jesus' posture towards us. Because this is important as we find ourselves at the starting line of relationships. Are these ingredients currently in your gas tank? Are you ready to embark on the race? If you're still forming and strengthening your relationship with Jesus, it could be wise to focus on just strengthening the, these ingredients so that you're readier down the road to like approach a godly relationship and you're like ready for that. All of us should remember that being a good, good, good girlfriend or boyfriend or husband or wife now or someday, it's not just about like Valentine's Day and being super cute or other things that our culture fixates on, nearly as much as you're daily abiding in Jesus and living like Jesus, dying to yourself, expressing the image of God through your character and through your servant-hearted love for the person that you're in a relationship with. So if you need to take a season to grow in your relationship with God or grow in, in a part of maturity or get free from some sin, it's wise to take that time. Good things take time. Good things take time. And if you need a season like that, think of it as a priceless investment in the foundation of, like, your lifetime. That's so worth it. Then, after you consider if those ingredients are kind of going on in your life, and if you're at a mature, healthy place, then also think about how those ingredients apply to somebody you're thinking about dating. I'm just asking this question to you guys. Would you want to date somebody who didn't have these ingredients going on in your life, in their life? Try to imagine for a second, what would marriage be like with somebody who didn't have these ingredients fully a part of their life? What would marriage, and imagine marrying somebody who did have these ingredients part of their life. Think about just what you would want. I'm not being like, i super easy answer. I'm just saying think about it um, because that's going to determine our choices starting now. As we move into talking about who you should date, there are a couple of just general principles that apply to all of us. Um, and so here's one for you guys. Consider who is already following Jesus like you are. Consider who around you is already following Jesus like you are. If you're a follower of Jesus, find somebody who's already running the race in a way that is admirable and that encourages you. They should encourage you as a brother in Christ before you consider them as a boyfriend. Or they should encourage you as a sister in Christ before you think of them as a girlfriend. They should already be living in community with King Jesus, being regularly plugged into the power cord of his love experiencing that unity with him and sharing in the spirit all of those realities. If you want to get to the end result, the blueprint of a worldly relationship, then this doesn't matter. Just go for it based on whatever the movies say. But if you want a godly relationship, the kind that the Bible describes and invites us to, then you absolutely need to not date anybody who's not already following Jesus like you are. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 6.14. He says, Don't be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? I think Meredith said this last week, but guys, of course we can and should be really good friends with people who don't love Jesus. We should serve them and care for them and love them in so many ways. But 
you shouldn't marry or date anybody who's fighting for a different king than you are. You're both like fighting for opposite kingdoms. Um, This is just like logical and pure wisdom, Paul's saying. Like, don't be unequally yoked, like always pulling against each other. Like, be equally yoked and be able to just get things done in this life. The second advice I would say for who to date is to make your own negotiables and non-negotiables list. Thank you, Jackson. Um, Guys, great relationships don't usually happen by accident. They usually happen because people were thoughtful and intentional and guided by wisdom as they started the relationship. And guys, this is a great thing. If you haven't done it before, you can totally do it in core and one-on-one with your mentor. Think about a list of like negotiable things and non-negotiable things for like a future spouse, therefore person you would date. So what things are negotiable? Like, oh, this would be nice or cute, but it's not a deal breaker. And what things are non-negotiable? Like, this is a make or break thing for me. I could not marry somebody if they didn't have this. So you can think about, like, what are some things in scripture that you see that you think are vitally important for your conviction for, like, a future marriage or dating or family relationship? And also think about what things you know about yourself that would be important for making that list. Just a few examples. I remember I put somebody who played guitar as, like, a negotiable because I was like, oh, guitar is nice. That'd be cool. But it's not a deal breaker. (laughs) Tony does play guitar, by the way. Um, But that's not why I'm married. Anyways. No. (laughs) Non-negotiables for me, uh, a few. Here's one. (laughs) I wrote, well, I talk a lot. (laughs) So I talk a lot. So I was like, you know, I'm going to need a relationally deep person who also likes to talk and listen. It would be really lonely for me if they were just like introvert gamer man who never wanted to talk. No, not that that was wrong, just for me. I would be like, what about me? And he'd be like, why you so many words? Um, I don't know. That would not be happy for either of us. I would need somebody who likes connecting through deep conversation. I also knew I was called to be a missionary, so I was only willing to date anybody who was also passionate about the nations and willing to go, which that really narrows it down. Um, I also, one other one, I'd experienced like angry males in my life and my family, and I was like, you know, male anger just isn't it. I mean, anger for anybody, but for me, marrying a guy. I just knew I wanted my future husband and the father of my kids to not be an angry person. So anyways, before you start dating somebody, or certainly before you get married, it's really wise to think about what are these critical things for you? Because every single one of us is going to have a different list, and we should. So what are things that are important for you to have like a healthy, servant-hearted marriage for life someday? All right, we'll move into our last section now, which is just how to date. Um, And it's really hard, because there's so many things I want to say, but I'm just going to try to boil it down to a few basics. So... The first super basic one is ask, in case you didn't know. Um, It starts by asking. Um, If you're interested in going on a date or getting to know somebody, ask them clearly if they would like to go on a date or get coffee with you to get to know you better. And it's really nice to just say what you're thinking. Otherwise, they'll have a small, like, delegation of girls trying to, like, decode the text message. So just spare all of us the time. Just be clear. Anyways, that wasn't a no. It's just for my heart. Um... Then when you're on the date, ask them good questions about themselves and, like, get to know each other. That's what you do, right? Um, The second tip is to remember the goal. What is the goal of dating? The goal, Michael always says this, um, the goal is to learn to love someone of the opposite sex, not to experiment with sex. And the goal is also to figure out if you should marry the person that you are dating. Guess what? The more you might get physically involved, the more you virtually cohabitate rather than date, the more you lust rather than love, the cloudier your vision's going to be to determine if you should marry that person. 
because those hormone ramping and infatuation and flaming actions, they actually work against your goal of seeing clearly if you should marry that person or not. So rather than spending your dating time making out or bonding hormonally or sexually, spend your dating time figuring out if you should bond for life and like do lots of talking and finding ways to serve each other and, and be, build a friendship and figure out what do they love? How do they serve others? How do they serve Jesus? Go out for ice cream and coffee and serve Jesus in groups and with friends. Um, discuss key issues. Learn how to honor each other. That's the posture of relationships in the kingdom of God is honoring one another in the Lord. This leads to planning your dates. Um, so you go on your dates and you plan your dates. Dates are things that are very much like plans. You could put them on your Google Calendar or your iCal or whatever you Apple people do. Um, dates are things that have like a beginning time and an end time. That's a fun fact. And we honor each other by keeping those. Um, I've noticed a lot of people on our campus and our culture, they don't do that so much. They just like kind of virtually cohabitate. It's like, well, we're just existing together. Unless I have somewhere I have to go, then ugh, I'll go and then I'll come back. So it's like, that's not dating, that's cohabitating. Um, and that's not as helpful. You need some space apart to even just see, clearly evaluate the relationship and, and see it objectively. Honestly, most of those relationships I've seen, they tend to be really codependent and unhealthy or you guys probably say toxic. Um, why is dating <laughs> is having dates, not cohabitating, and planning what to do on those dates so that you can get to know each other better and not just slip back into like sketchy stuff because you don't know what else to do. If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. And shout out, I remember when Brandon and Meredith were dating, Brandon was so good at planning their dates. I didn't ask if I could say this, sorry Brandon. Um, but like he planned like creative dates and like ideas for how he and Meredith could get to know each other and have fun and like, and it, it showed so much love, I thought, as Meredith's friends how he like put thought into planning their dates. You probably plan dates too, but anyways. Um, I remember you guys had great ideas for how to like keep it fresh and keep it, yeah, just, it was awesome. Um, the last tip is to keep your boundaries. So at some point as you're dating, um, you'll probably get a little bit more physically comfortable with each other and you might be motivated to express your affection. I've seen it. People have affection, they want to express it. <laughs> Tim's laughing anyways. Um, you should talk about some physical boundaries. Guys, boundaries are like traffic lights. Here I go with another analogy. Um, so I used to think that traffic lights were annoying. When you like sit at a red light in Ellensburg and you're like, why am I here when there's like two other cars on the road? Like, what am I doing with my life? But have you ever been to a developing nation that does not have infrastructure like that? It, you think that like, oh, if I could just be done with these traffic lights and stop signs, it would be so freeing. Um, no, it's like, it's like terror and chaos and it's exciting. It's real exciting. It's more like YOLO, um, but you don't know how long it's going to be. Like, it, it's a very different experience. So when I've come back from other countries and have driven once again in Washington, I am like sitting at the red light in University Way. I'm like, okay, awesome. There's nobody else here. Um, but I've learned that infrastructure actually gives you so much freedom. It helps you drive within the proper bounds and not overstress everything, not worry about what could be coming because um, they help you know when to stop and where not to go. They give you freedom when you're driving within the proper, you know, the proper way. Um, when they're laid out in wisdom, they keep you going in purity and wisdom. So, guys, the Bible doesn't tell us everything about what's okay and what's not okay for single or dating. It talks about kissing sometimes, but um, a lot of it's in church. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it doesn't say, like, when it's okay to kiss or when to hold hands. Um, but it's clear throughout all of scripture, you guys. Um, I'm, not, I'm saying this because I don't know if, if all of us know it. It's clear throughout all of scripture that sex and all sexual acts, like everything, are only designed for marriage and only with the person you're married to. 
That was a key, you know, addition. Um, the Bible speaks about keeping the marriage bed pure, treating each other with absolute purity. Ephesians says there must not be a hint of sexual immorality among you because you're God's holy people. I'll put some verse references on the screen behind me, and there are so many more that you can find if you want to figure out, like, what the Bible says about this area of our ethics and our life. Um, but I recommend as you make your boundaries, think about, like, what's going to be appropriate to express our care for each other, but, like, how can we not even make each other tempted? Like, how can we not go as close as we can to the edge of, like, not having sex but, like, getting really close? How can we just, like, not even tempt each other and just, like, honor each other in that way? Um, you can ask any couple who's dating well about their boundaries and what they've learned, like somebody who's just gotten married a while ago or somebody who's dating right now or engaged um, if you want some help or wisdom, a lot of us learned our boundaries partially from wisdom and partially from some trial and error and regret. And a, a lot of us are really happy to pass on the wisdom because we don't want you to go through the regret that we've gone through. Um, and and we, we would like to help people avoid painful mistakes. So ask people for counsel. I would confidently again say that the staff, facilitators, a lot of other great couples in here would be able to share their wisdom with you. And guys, remember, boundaries are, are here to serve us. Like, we don't serve them. They serve us. They help us honor each other and keep the main thing the main thing, which is learning how to humbly love the other person and develop a servant-hearted, God-style love and figure out if you should marry them. Um, one last thing I wanted to mention about sexual temptation. Um, if you've heard of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, one is self-control. Um, here's just a fun fact from somebody who survived singleness, dating, engagement, and 11 years of marriage. You actually always need self-control. Um, maybe I'm just a goof that didn't think that was going to exist after marriage, but, like, something that surprised me, that sexual temptation doesn't just stop once you get married. I thought marriage would be, like, crossing a finish line, like, oh, I made it. And then, like, temptation would just, like, shrivel up and expire, like, at the finish line, and I'm like, ooh, um, see ya. Um, but guess what? It actually continues in different ways. I think that Tony and I have a pretty healthy marriage, but we are both semi-regularly tempted to lust after other people. Um, the thief from John 10.10 10 doesn't retire once you get married. He just shifts tactics. Um, and if and when you sin against each other in this area when you're married, or whether it's masturbation or porn or anything, it is so many more times painful for you and your spouse. So that's my last heartfelt encouragement for you guys to, to just do the hard work of killing lust and those sin patterns now if they exist in your life. When you're single, kill it. When you're dating, kill it. When you're engaged, keep it dead. When you're married, um, I don't mean that it's like a constant high-profile problem for Tony and I. I don't want to make you guys worried. But it's just like you can't ever just like clock off and go on cruise control. Like you just have to be wise because the enemy is always prowling. Um, so you just have to be vigilant. Um, again, the Jesus transformation our thinking is not like how far to the edge of skin or sketchiness can I go. It's like how pure can I be? How much can I like keep my sister in Christ from even a hint of temptation? How can we honor each other and serve each other? Okay, as we wrap up the very last thing I wanted to talk about tonight is, is about wise counsel. And I've alluded to this several times already, but um, I've said the words wise or wisdom approximately a billion times. And that's because if you want to have a godly relationship that's in line with God's blueprint rather than the world's, um, it's got to begin with wisdom and constantly be guided by wisdom. And here's just the thing to accept for all of us. You will need outside wisdom in order to date and marry wisely. Why? This is my newly patented statement. When you get a crush, your brain turns to mush. It's just, it's just true. Um, it's like when I grew up, it was like, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. 
It's like your brain is this like cute and compromised place when you get filled with infatuation. And it's just like, it's really funny. I'm just going to say it's really funny um, because it happens to everybody. And people always deny it. They're like, oh, no, I'm totally clear-minded. And we're like, bro, your brain is a pile of goo right in front of me. <laughs> it's really cute. You don't see it, but we can all see it. It's so funny. So anyways, don't be embarrassed. It's, it's, it happens to everybody. And all that excitement of feelings, which are beautiful and goofy gifts, you could probably also super benefit from some wisdom from people whose brains are not mush for that girl or guy um, and have godly perspective and, and who love you. So it's good to identify who in your life is in these two categories. Who are people who will support you in whatever you want to do? They will gush over every detail. They, they want you to like them. They want to make you feel good. They'll tell you what you want to hear, what friends or people in your life are in that category. And what are the second category? People who will tell it like it is. They will tell you the straight-up truth that they see, even if it's not exactly what you want to hear in that moment. Therefore, you're good. So much that they'll tell you something a little bit hard because they care about you in the long run. You're going to have plenty of people in your life in both of those categories, friends, family, roommates, parents, people in core, your core leader. It doesn't matter who the person is. It just matters which category are they in for you because you want to major on asking for input from people in category number two. First category people, man, they should plan your bridal shower. They should plan your bachelor party. They're awesome. But you don't want to like build the foundation on their advice necessarily um, because they might just be telling you things that make you happy but are not healthy. Um, yeah, so um, example questions that if you wanted to ask your facilitator or, or other people in your life, I mean, these are really humble. These are just, I'm just throwing out these questions in case it helps anybody. You could ask like, how could I grow to be more ready to date? Is this person I'm considering dating a wise person to date or not? Are my girlfriend and I dating wisely? What ways could we improve on? Are there any aspects of our relationship that don't seem healthy to you? I mean, that's like, you got to have guts to ask that question. I had to have guts to write it. I'm not even dating. Um, but like, also pre-engagement guidance can help you make the big choice of if you should marry them or not. Um, we, are, we have a gift of being in a community with people who care about each other and want to cultivate awesome relationships um, so let's lean into that wisdom. As much as you lean in and invest, you're going to get so much um, a benefit and blessing from that. I just wanted to kind of close by sharing an example of when um, actually Taylor and Cassidy started to date, because not a lot of us were around back then, but I was. Um, so I know Taylor, um, I don't know why I'm so weird, you guys. Um, I know Taylor had watched T Cassidy's character for a little while, not like a creeper, but just like in Chi Alpha, in FTC, like on facilitator team. Um, they were just friends are around. And then when fall quarter came, sorry, I kicked you. Um, I remember Taylor came up to me at church at New Life and he pulled me aside and he asked me what was my opinion of Cassidy. He asked me about her character, the strength of her relationship with God, if she was in a place in her life that it would be okay to consider dating. He asked me this because he knew I was her mentor and I, 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 knew, I knew Cassidy well after meeting with her one-on-one -on -one for some years. He knew I cared about her and that I would be a category two person who would tell him the truth as I saw it because I'm for Cassidy. I'm not going to like you know, do something that's not going to be helpful for her. What did I say? I think the first thing I said was something like, yo, okay, shoot, because I was so surprised <laughs> and excited. But then I promptly became mature again and told him, like, man, honestly, what a great choice. Like, her character is admirable. I look up to her in a lot of ways. There are some things that she's grown really strong in. Her relationship with Jesus is really mature. I don't think it'd be distracting for her to consider dating. Um, but I believe that if I had a reason to tell Taylor, like, ooh, actually, there's a crisis in her life, like, parents, like, something is happening, it's not a good time for a relationship to start, 
um, or this would be unhealthy for her relationship with God, I, I believe and I know he would have listened and trusted that advice um, and waited and kept praying and, and wisely waiting. Guys, wisdom listens. Wisdom waits. Wisdom does whatever is necessary to build the best foundation possible, not just like dump and quick dry concrete to like make a quick foundation. You want like a foundation that'll last for a lifetime, um, which takes quality input and patience. Guys, we live in a microwave world, but we want and we need crockpot quality results. And it is so worth it to follow God's blueprint and to follow wisdom as we build foundations that will establish awesome relationships. Okay, so the worship team can come up. And you guys, this was a marathon of a message. I'm a little bit sorry because there's just so much stuff that I want to like say and that I've learned and that I want to help bless on pass on to you guys. But um, we have the gift of learning to follow God's blueprint together in community surrounded by wisdom. And guys, we got the Holy Spirit. He's like the best personal trainer to help us like have freedom and like have self-control, be led by wisdom. So let's be lights on a hill in the dark, dark world showing God's awesome, good character by how we relate with others. Amen? Amen. Okay. So as we close, here are a few application questions for us to reflect on. You can just take a picture and think about them later or just pick one and and reflect on it a little bit tonight, but uh, I will read them briefly. So what did you learn tonight about about romantic relationships? Um, How has your thinking changed in some way maybe? Or what things are important to you about romantic relationships in your life, either current or future? And the last one is, um, what could you start doing now to build a healthy foundation according to God's blueprint? Is there anything that you need to eject or surrender or get free from? And let's reflect for a little bit on one of those questions and then um, begin singing whenever you are ready.